The Good Pals Podcast with Matt Stock and Zach Stevens. Greetings, friends. Welcome to the premiere episode, episode one of The Good Pals Podcast. This is a podcast covering popular culture, film, television, uh, some music, some new releases, some classics that I, your host, Matt Stock, like to discuss with my friend and producer. We're here in his laboratory today as we speak. It's Mr. Zach Stevens. Stevens. How you guys doing? Good afternoon, Stevens. What's up, Maddie? I'm really excited about this new project. Uh, you came to me with this. It's a little overdue, right? Yeah, I think it is, and uh, I'm excited about it. We spent a lot of our time talking about popular culture. I'd say film and television in particular. Uh, we're big music fans as well, so when you suggested this, I decided I wanted to come aboard immediately, and we have a loose framework for what we want to do with this thing. I think it's, you think it's going to deal largely with film. Well, the thing is, I think everyone knows you're a pretty prolific lunch guy. Yeah. And you do a lot of lunches with a lot of people. But when we do them, I think the thing that we cover the most is movies, TV shows, sports, you know, just a lot of pop culture, a lot of just, you know. For sure. Trivia-esque things. And I think film always ends up coming to the forefront. And why not put that thing on, you know. Yeah, we have similar tastes. We have similar good tastes. I think so. I think if we see things that really touch a nerve with us or... Um, something we want to share with our friends and listeners, then we can sort of come on here and have fun and break it down and then talk about related topics, which is kind of what we're exactly. going to get into today. But um, I'm glad that we got started. We just did, we did several sound checks. I got some fresh new sound material. I got some fresh headphones. From the only John's Music on Hilton Head Island. Those guys are awesome. These headphones are great. I feel really cool right now. Uh, it took us a little while to get rolling. You just had to play with your cat for a couple minutes. <laughs> Leo is over here sequestered. <laughs> Um, on the bed, he was just buried under blankets by Zach, which he found very amusing. Zach, that is not Leo. Yeah, poor Leo. But uh, are you a, becoming a crazy cat guy, Stevens? No, just one cat. Just that's all I need. All right, just him. We'll see how that. We'll see how that evolves over this over the span of this show. Let me ask you, if you're crazy about Avatar, talking originally about the 2009 James Cameron film, which became one of the biggest movie sensations of all time. This movie comes out, tells the story of uh, basically a futuristic United States Army trying to colonize a planet called Pandora, which is full of uh, peaceful um, alien savages, creatures. No. Yeah, well, <laughs> peaceful yet savage creatures called the Navi. Um, and of course, they don't take lightly to being colonized, but this film was revolutionary in a lot of ways. The special effects work was absolutely dynamite out of this world. Uh, really good motion capture performances from the alien characters. Sam Worthington in the lead as Jake Sully, and our gal Zoe Saldana as Natiri, warrior woman of the Navi tribe, and of course Jake's eventual love interest. Yeah, well, I was going to say this. Isn't it funny they took James Cameron took a chance on Sam Worthington in two thousand nine, and he had like three movies that were huge around that time, and then I haven't seen him since this movie. Sam Worthington <laughs> has definitely been off the radar since the Titans movies, Clash right? of Titans. Clash right? of the Titans yeah. and Wrath of the Titans. Yeah, where's he been? And then he's out. Meanwhile, his co-lead here, Zoe Saldana, has Crushing become the it. genre queen of Hollywood. Yeah. She has three recurring roles. She is, of course, Nateri in these Avatar films. She is, uh, she is Lieutenant Uhura in the Star Trek films. Yeah, she's a different color in like every movie. I fucking, like, <laughs> star, yeah. I fucking love those Star. I fucking love those Star Trek movies, the J.J. Abrams movies. Oh, they're the best. great. Carl Urban's in them, and, and she's in. Uh, she is Gamora in the Marvel films. Yeah, you know she uh, actually um, is deceased, as we know. Yeah, yeah, but now there's a Guardian sequel coming out. She's in it. 
due to the multiverse and time traveling and so on and so forth. She's got a full dance card doing well, these movies. Marvel, they can't kill off anybody that makes some money, you know? I don't know how the chick has free time between, like, these Avatar films have been being made since right after the, the last one came out. So I think The Way of Water, a film that we're going to talk about in some detail today, we, you and I just went to see the other night, was started filming about seven or eight years ago. And they've Nuts. been working on these ever since, yeah. And she does the Marvel movies, too. There are actors that are in this film. This is a mild spoiler alert, but I don't really feel bad saying about it because here's a frame of reference. Edie Falco from The Sopranos. Yeah, she's uh, in She it. played Carmela Soprano. Carmella. Is like a hard-as-nails uh, general type um, with the military in this movie. And on The View the other day, she said that she thought the movie came out and was a bomb because she filmed it like fucking seven years ago and just never heard anything about it again. Didn't realize it was going to take that long for it to come out. Did come out this week. Was a success. $435 million in global box office. Not bad. Avatar, its predecessor, of course, the all-time box office champion with $2.922 billion in ticket sales. Mm -hmm. It was briefly passed by Avengers Endgame. But then James Cameron, the director of Avatar, is such a sicko that he re-released and touched up Avatar a little bit and did a theatrical run with it till it made enough money... <laughs> to pass Endgame again, and is currently the box office champion of all time. And this movie resonated with a lot of people. There is a post-Avatar depression became a thing that was getting a lot of uh, FaceTime in the news. People missed Pandora. They kept going back to see the movie and over and over again. And, and that's what contributed to selling so many tickets. You can go to Disney World now. They have the, uh, yeah. the floating rocks and all that jazz. Yeah, the whole, the whole Avatar experience. So the question here was, and after 13 years, did people still care about Avatar. Did you care about Avatar, Stevens? Uh, like, what were your, when this movie, you saw the trailer for this I'm going to try out. to be, I'm going to try when we cover movies to not pander to yeah. what people like, just, yeah. you know, to keep it completely honest. I, tr until, until we sat our butts in the seats for that movie, I really didn't care about it that much. So your interest in going to see it was more as a, it was like a launch pad for this podcast. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, I love the first Avatar. I have a, I have a good memory of me, my dad me and my sister, we went and saw it in, yeah. in theaters, and uh, I just remember being blown away by the the, the special effects, just the, the planet, all the idea. Maybe I had a little Pandora depression myself, but I, I don't know. I think the older you get, you start to realize like it's just such a uh, the plot is kind of played out. To what I, plot? That's yeah. something we'll talk about, right? Exactly. Or, well, and I'm not. Yeah, this is going to be a spoiler free podcast, but I kind of just think like. Avatar one is just dances with wolves with blue people, you know? Sure. And, but that's fine. I think, but I don't, I don't think people go to see this movie to, to watch a, uh, you know, a David Fincher or like a Christopher Nolan type script. I think they're going to see an insane ride, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's, it's they're a, like, it's like the roller coaster of movies. It's a cinematic experience. Yeah. Like we know what, we know what we're getting and this is, also, you know, somewhat the case with the filmmaker himself, James Cameron, who we're going to talk about a lot. One of my favorite directors. Uh, we'll look back through some of his films. The guy never misses. He's a great director. He creates cinematic experiences. You have to see his movies on the big screen, I think, to enjoy them the most. Absolutely. And uh, in particular, he's really done it with his more recent films, Titanic. Yeah, no kidding. Avatar, of course. And now The Way of Water, which despite what me and Zach may have said so far, 
we are not here to to bash this movie. No, I, I we thoroughly saw, enjoyed the movie. We watched yeah. it. We saw it the other night, and it was a really, really fucking cool theatrical experience. And um, as supporters of theater, you know, and with COVID screwing everything up with, you know, movie production, movies, movie studios are releasing a quarter of the movies they were releasing before COVID. So they're really going all in on these movies and trying to create the best experience they can. Yeah, if you're waiting to watch this movie on your side, on, on your phone at night in your bed, it's don't do it. No. <laughs> Go to the movie theater and watch no, this movie because no. you have to see. I mean, just the scope of some of these shots. I mean, it feels like a... Uh, a lot of times the movie feels like a Disney Earth movie. Like a ride. <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah. Uh, well, it's like a Disney Earth present. Like, I, sometimes in some of the shots, I wish uh, David Attenborough would have been talking. I mean, if you, know? you yeah, if, if if you see this, I, I'm sure seeing it in IMAX is a dynamite experience. You know, I'm sure some people are going to go out to Pooler to do that. Yeah. yeah, but we saw it standard screen Northridge in one of the bigger auditoriums. The sound was great. The picture was great. Uh, I think just right off the top, if we're going to acknowledge the the pros about this movie, it has set an absolutely new high bar in effects work in special effects work. Yeah, this is seamless. CGI. These aliens, these aliens look like fucking, you could walk by them on the street. They look that real. It's pretty intense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're extremely photorealistic, as are a lot of the creatures. Well, and, a, and a, a lot of the, what I noticed is a lot of the aliens, they take a, um, they must have used some form of facial recognition because they take a, uh, a shape of the actor who's playing them. Like the in the face, I can see it. Okay. Yeah, it's all you motion know? capture. Yeah, and yeah. then they they animate Incredible. and they animate around it. But it was very impressive in Avatar, and I mean, when I say it's improved, of course it's improved because it's all these years later. Technology improves, but it is substantially better than the effects in the original film, which are already great. So yeah. this is a movie that's going to win every technical award on the board when award season comes around, and might even end up, I think, being in the conversation for some other awards because of its box office impact. And the effect it's going to have on people that go to see it. I think they're going to have that same joyful experience. And it is, at times, exhilarating. No, and I think, James, what he did excellent, like, what he did um, great with this movie is when you introduce a world like Pandora and you're showing, like, even the creatures of, you know, the flying beast and the, uh, the mm-hmm. things that they ride, the horses, and it, it's, when you've already introduced all that, it's hard to hit a home run again because what are you going to do, show all the same jungle and and so he took it to the ocean well we know exactly what he did i mean what else is he gonna do he's obsessed with the fucking ocean i know (laughs) so here i mean after titanic he built a submersible that took him like he's he's been deeper in the sea than any living being yeah i always forget he did that and he He loves and he loves all that bioluminescent stuff oh it's amazing this the, the this plot device of this film which involves the navi uh jake jake sully's tribe and Atiri, now of course wed or whatever the the union of beings is called in the Navi tribe, with a nice little, they got a nice little nest going. They got four kids, three kids, that they had I guess by making Navi Nookie, and one <laughs> and one kid, the most interesting character in the movie maybe in my opinion, that they adopted. Uh, this happens early in the film, so I don't think it's a spoiler. It is a child that is born of Sigourney Weavers. Avatar character. Yeah, it's kind of a happy. From the uh, first happy. film. Her, Sigourney Weaver's Avatar, of course, fell in battle in the original Avatar, but I guess was pregnant at the time. So they kept her, you know, sort of in suspended animation, and she gives birth to a child of somewhat mysterious origin. Yeah. And her name is Kiri, and Sigourney Weaver plays this character as a teenager. It's odd. It, it's, and it's really cool. It, yeah. It's, 
she does a great job. The mannerism is like, I'm telling you, it's uncanny, the expressions that they get out of these characters. I think, I think that character looks the most like it's actor. Absolutely. Or, yeah. <laughs> and there are some others that do not. But um, but the, basically the, the premise is they, they introduce us to this, this character. They have a really cool family dynamic. The kids are funny, but not annoying. Always one of my favorite things about child performances. Yeah. Kids are, the kids are good actors in this. And What's an annoying child performance that you hate? Uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> That's no. right. I said it. Oh no! Everyone just stopped listening. No, you know, this no. Here, Matt, how dare you? He was great in that, but there are some, you know, that just will take you right out of the movie. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, these kids are cool, and they're and they're rendered in but CGI. Sometimes, sometimes though, they will blow you away. Yeah, make the movie. You know, sure. You know, well, yeah. The Sixth Sense, like Haley Joel Osment, the Fanning yeah. Girls did some good movies. Yeah. No, um, no. Plenty of good, plenty of good actors out there. These kids are no exception. And Sigourney acting as a teenager, and even down to the, you notice there's a lot of eye rolling in this movie, and like teenagers, teenager like behavior. It's, it's a family flick. It, it really is, is a family flick, and one of the one of the themes is you know, teenagers will drive you crazy. No kidding. Because yeah. these kids are always getting in trouble, and those those stakes raise significantly. When the quote unquote sky people return to Pandora. Or yeah, and another thing is Who uh, are the Sky people, Steve? The sky people are us, man. It's us, yeah. The big bad people, the shitty human race. Well, and um oh gosh, I'm gonna butcher this. Ben my good friend Ben Huey's been on the pod before. He uh he is like an avatar historian at this yes. point. And and um he honestly got me hyped to see this movie. Yeah, me I, as well. I didn't care until you know, Ben can touch yeah, or Ben can like find a profound meaning in almost anything, but when he finds him in movies, I'm like, I gotta see that movie. You yeah. know, he's he really cares and he cared about this one. So, uh, what is what do they call uh, Jake Sully? The tu- the Tuktoro? Uh, it's like their leader name. He's like the head honcho of of the where he's at. There's a lot of T words. He's the chief of the tribe. Yeah, the chief of the tribe. There he's you go. the chief of the tribe. He did. He drove him once being a human. He's con- at the end of the original Avatar. He completely converted over to a Navi or yeah. a Navi human hybrid. And he led the forces, you know, in a somewhat rebellious, like Star Wars fashion, against humans, the Empire. And um, they're coming back for him in this movie. Yeah, and there's a lot of times in this movie, I, you know, we're talking family themes, where it's, it's there's a lot of filling your father's shoes moments. There's a yeah. lot of, I don't want to, you know, I want to make dad proud. This and, movie is 100% about fathers and sons. Yeah. Um, sometimes to its detriment, but also sometimes to its, to its great benefit. So... When the bad guy humans return, they sort of have a pack. They sort of have a surprise in the form of several revived Marines that have been made into Navi's from their human remains from the battle that they lost at the end of the first Avatar. In particular, Quaritch, the mean, mean like Marine boss that squared off with them at the end of the first film. He's back and he's angry. Yeah, they brought him back. Yeah, which is, gosh, it's crazy. Those so, actors just held on to this. It's hard to. Do you think they might might have had a tough time seeing James Cameron's vision? I don't think you can question James Cameron. No, but. I think if he wants you to be in his movie, you're like, oh, man, whatever it takes, how <laughs> yeah, long, you know? No so because the track record's there. But long story short, there's a conflict, and it becomes very clear that Jake and his family are endangering their entire tribe. So they retreat to the ocean where they encounter. Well, they know these people are there, but it's another it's another Navi tribe, but they're ba- they're an aquatic. Sort of yeah, different they're, skin pigmentation. They're and aquatic everything. beings. They're uh, they're green as opposed to blue. They have fins. They have yeah. different tails that they swim with, and um, same problems though. <laughs> they do have the same problems. You have again. You have a family of a tribe leader and his mate, 
and they're difficult children, and it turns into just the dynamic between Kate all these Winslet. characters. Kate Winslet, yes, the Ooh. the queen slash princess in this case, and um, also a few of their kids, ranging from um, you know young children to young adult. Let me ask you a question, Stevens. Young love. I want you to young answer. love and the blue people. I want you to answer honestly. Yeah, I'm ready. Did you think that the oldest girl in the water people family was Foxy? I thought she was so hot. Because you made a little noise every time she came on oh, screen. I went, you were like, ooh. ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think. Um, you are making little grunts of it. I said, wow, Zach's got a crush on the sexy alien. Yeah. Aliens are sexy. I think that the, I like the blue ones. I think Natiri's. You want to do a, a quick, fox. you want to do a quick. Foxy aliens. Top three sexy aliens in all movies ever. Uh, species. I don't know if we need to go species. Let's well, she go. was a foxy alien, right? That's true. Natasha <laughs> Henstridge. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to Star Trek. Star Trek always just, you know, had mega babes on their uh, on their episodes, and they just paint them a different color or put a wig on them, maybe give them a couple facial prosthetics, extra fingers, flippers, what have you. But I've definitely noticed you having somewhat of a, you were feeling some kind of way <laughs> about the little aqua girl. And she was cute, so, I mean, good for you. But, I didn't um, hate it. Look, they're beautiful creatures. He sort of He sort of designed them in such a fashion where... They're very lithe and they're very athletic. And <laughs> I, ten, I looked up a top. And they're ten, ten feet tall. Top ten sexiest aliens poll and so, uh, Saldana's two of them. She's one and two. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Gamora and Natiri. See who else I got. Uh, so yeah, hats off, hats off to them for that. But Star Wars always has a bunch. You know, they have the different Jedi's and things like that. But I see. You know, this this screen you're referring to. I saw. Oh, I saw Mila Jovovich from The Fifth Element in there. Yeah. Great science fiction film and great performance by her. So definitely, you know, falls in the uh, the foxy alien category. But um, as far as the way of water goes, the movie's called this because Jake Sully and the family have to learn about the way of water. Yeah, absolutely. They have to. They've, they're in being. They're intruding this tribe who is very peaceful. And he says, "We walked away from the war a long time ago." Says the water chief, which is your foreshadowing right there. Guess what? The war's coming. Yeah, and and um, clearly. What does it say? Uh, I mean, a lot of time has passed because Jake now has a family in the Navi and stuff. Yeah. But there's clearly been some kind of, I don't want to say peace because there's no peace between the Navi and, and the 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 Sky people. They, no. they truly hate each other. But there's some form of an agreement that isn't causing all out war. You stay know? out of my yard. We'll stay out of your yard. Pretty much. Everything's cool. But it is very intrusive even for Jake and his family of five to be with this water tribe. Yeah. But because of Jake's past victories in battle and his status as a tribal chief, the water chief acquiesces, and now we have the Sullys living with the people and learning the way of water. Yes. And this really focused, the second hour of this movie focuses on the kids. It's the whole second act is uh, coming of age. Yeah. <laughs> like Flint. Yeah, it's, you know, some learning to become leaders, learning to be individuals, dealing with changes in their lives. I think there's some, I think there's some metaphorical comparisons to... You know, puberty, we see a lot of young love. You know, there's a lot of uh, mm -hmm. a lot of kids making goo, goo eyes at each other. Kids challenging one another. There's bullying. Uh, and I think it's all done really well. Those are honestly some of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, to take the weight of this, to take the weight of this film and put it, you know, on, on the on the children to carry it. It makes you very, it makes you very close to that. I think we're forgetting to mention a, uh, you know, spoiler free, but a pivotal child in the movie. There's a, a human amongst these Navi. Are we are we avoiding him, or do we just want to talk about him because he sucks? I don't think he sucks. I think we, he's. I th honestly think 
when I when the movie first started, he was the character that maybe annoyed me, the the immediately. But I will say this: that character is going to have a lot of depth, and I don't, you know. Yeah, we're talking about Spider, a human child who was left behind when the Sky People left. So Spider is like Tarzan of Pandora. Yeah, he's a. Uh... He's he's learned how to function. He's learned their ways. He communicates like them. He's very close with all the Sully kids, and he becomes a very important character who's also got some daddy issues, too. But when we were planning out, the when we were pre-planning the pod today, I said, are we going to talk about Spider? You know, does Spider suck or is he okay? And I think you said, yeah, fuck Spider. But now <laughs> you're now you're changing your I'm tune. having a change of heart on Spider, though. I thought you said you were all right, Spider. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it now. Now, see, now I, I came in here, I came in here not fully in love with this movie and now I'm like thinking about it quite a bit. <laughs> it was a great it was a it was a really great movie. Like I walked out of there elevated from the visual experience of it. Yeah, I don't want to say not in love with the movie because when you go see a movie like that, how can you not I mean the the, the visuals of that movie is 11 out of 10. It it Yeah, and 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 we, the visuals are 11 out of 10 and it does the plot is very clear from the beginning. We know exactly what's going to happen. With yeah. the exception of maybe a couple little surprises. But it makes for a really it makes for a great sequel. I don't want to talk much about the third act of the film. This is a three hour film divided into three one hour acts. Yeah, absolutely. The third act of the film is guess what? The sky people come to the ocean too, and it's go time, the war. Yeah. So that is the final uh, act, but um, it still carries some emotional heft to it. And absolutely. what we wanted to talk about Zach is this is something I think we agree that the way of water is a superior film to its original. I mean, yeah, I guess. Well, that's what we talked about, you know, before. But if you're going to change yes. your tune again, no, no, first, I'm not changing my opinion. First, I, spoilers, all right, and now I, we're in the air about. I, I will say yes, yes. This movie is superior. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Wishy Washy Pals <laughs> podcast with me and Zach Stevens. But no, it's hard to say. I think it's a fine line. But what I'm basically getting to is because what we're going to talk about for the remainder of the podcast is sequels. Yeah, and what's the greatest one? And I think when we talk about sequels, we have to talk about James Cameron because he's made, in the, before this one, which I think is one of the greatest sequels of all time, he made two other ones. The first in 1986 was Aliens, the sequel to Ridley Scott's 1979 horror smash Aliens. Mm-hmm. Alien. A movie like Alien is a tough act to follow. So in, in this case, he's following up with another director and he makes in my opinion, a superior film. It's one of my favorite films, if not my favorite film. And what did we talk about as the elements of the sequel that Cameron brings first in Aliens and in each of these sequels that we're about to talk about? He brings a level of emotional heft and relatability that was absent. Alien, a very scary, very cold, very clinical, gothic horror film. Yeah. Aliens has a heart of gold, right? You got a bunch of ragtag, funny Marines that are a family, and you have a character named Newt, who Sigourney Weaver's Ripley character relates to and gives her the opportunity to have a daughter that she never had, having been frozen in suspended animation for so many years. And the stakes are raised. Ripley's defending her child. You know, these Marines are defending each other. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of diversity. Family prevails, the whole time and you know that's that's what that's that's the message i think the the heart that was evident in aliens also 
became evident in the next time that Cameron took a shot at making a sequel. In this case, I'm talking about 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The best one. The best Terminator? My opinion. Maybe. The first, uh, but, but the difference is here, he's building off his own previous work, which was 1984-5's Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Cameron's first major film that he directed. So he's got the characters in lock. He has to come up with a way to bring Schwarzenegger back, which isn't hard because you deal with an android that's coming from the future. There could be a bunch of them. But what he does is, again, he leans strongly on the family element by making the, ter- the Schwarzenegger Terminator that comes back from the future a father figure to the character of John Connor. And you have John's mother, Sarah Connor, played here in a Pantheon performance by Linda Hamilton. And you have maybe, maybe one of the best villains in that movie, too. The T-1000. T-1000 is Played the best. by Robert Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> I love him in that movie, but gosh, it's you so funny. You think about The Sopranos. I always think about The Sopranos with him. He's the guy <laughs> who can't stop gambling. He's, and, a de- he's the degenerate gambler character. Yeah, and he has yeah. to give his kid's car up. Tony, as a form of gambling debt, he takes the guy's car off his hands yeah. and gives it to his daughter. And He lives in his tent <laughs> in a sporting goods store. He yeah. pitches his own tent. But yeah, he was a great villain. I asked a trivia question at Trivia Night the other night about what was the name of the villainous cyborg in Terminator 2, because I feel like everyone on the fucking planet has seen Terminator 2. Yeah. Not a single team got it right. A, not a single team got it right. B, they gave me a bunch of shit about it, No too. one got T-1000? Oh, what kind of question is that? I'm like, I thought it was an easy question. That is an easy question. Bunch of dummies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Still to this day, the way that he sprints yeah. holds up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The they full hand pointed... <laughs> they did that in Wayne's World. He was in Wayne's World one or two, where he does the same thing. Really? Yeah, that sprint yeah. is. Wow. So yeah, so a, a elevated threat, elevated element of of familial relationships, elevated sentiment. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a, he's got a lot of heart in the center of his movies. They're not ironic, they're not sarcastic. You take them at face value. Yeah, you know, there's not a bit of a smug attitude in any of these movies. Titanic, the same way. A great romance. Yeah, where was the sequel for that one? Yeah. If they could figure out a way to do it, I'm sure they would. But it's all we know what it's all about. It's all about the door. You know, the door controversy. Oh, did you hear about um, he proved that they wouldn't... This week, yeah. Scientifically proved they couldn't have survived together. Guys, you know how everyone sees memes about, um, you know, fucking Rose on the door just doesn't have any room to... Scoot over, bitch. Doesn't have any room to let Jack up on there. She plunges to the depths. James Cameron, being a perfectionist and being a weirdo got so crazy about it that he produced scientific proof this week <laughs> on on like on the internet I guess that it would have been it would have te- sunk it was impossible yeah for the two of them to survive that just wouldn't have happened they would have sunk or other elements would have set in so just crazy that he would do that but for all you guys you can stop being mad at Rose right now there's really no other way it had to be one of them you know so I guess Jack had to go, although he was pretty cool, man. I liked him quite a bit. R.I.P. Jack. Yeah. Your cat is named after Leonardo DiCaprio. It is. That's, um, you know, not. I didn't get the cat and go, I got to name you after Leonardo DiCaprio. It worked uh, out in another series of events, but. That makes the story less interesting, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my, my best friend and my roommate at the time, his cat's name was Hans, after one of the best film scorers of all time, Hans Zimmer. Okay. And. So we have Hans, and then I get a cat, and I go, well, we love them. We always, back in the day, Ben and I would get on anywhere we went, whether it was an airplane or just walking on, you know, smoking a joint. We would listen to the, the Inception score. 
Yeah. And so we love that movie. We talk about that movie all the time. Still huge Christopher Nolan fans. I yeah. think it's interesting that you used to smoke marijuana. That seems like so long ago. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. But it's been a minute. And then we named, uh, so I named him Leo from Leonardo DiCaprio from Inception. Hans Zimmer does the movies. Yeah. Okay. So it so worked out. Way I was right. yeah, that's and cool. it works out. He's, he, looks, he looks like a Leo. He's a little Leoward. Talking the, about my cat. The bottom line is it's pretty impressive that A. James Cameron really never misses with any of his films. They've all been great. Uh, just in varying degrees, and they've all been tremendously financially successful. Can we think and of any other people that just don't ever really miss the mark? Uh, not really, like off the top of my head. Tarantino. We, yeah, maybe you could I say mean, you could say one or two of his movies maybe don't hit. That's Death well, Proof. I even like Death Proof. So for me, that, so do a lot of people. For me, I agree on Tarantino. Like yeah. we talked about Spielberg the other day. I think he's got a couple. I think he's got a couple shortcomings. Great director, maybe the greatest. Scorsese even has had a couple strange projects. Well, speaking of his shortcomings, I think you might have thought he had one in the last two weeks. The Fablemans. Yeah. yeah. Which was which was to be the movie to rival this movie, some would say. Yeah. Well, when we do a Spielberg pod, we'll talk about the Fablemans because yeah. it covers his life. And um, we're, so he's, has he directed, he's directed some sequels. He directed Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I love. A lot of people don't like. It is considered politically correct for some reasons, but I thought it was an absolutely great Ali adventure. Ma. A great adventure <laughs> film. A great adventure film. Not superior to Raiders of the Lost Ark, though. But what we're talking Probably about not, today man. are sequels that are superior to their predecessors. And I know that there's one you are itching to talk about. It's the first one you brought up, and I'm going to agree with you 100%. What is that movie, Zach? The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight from, uh, what was that, 2008? 2008. Um... The that's dark- the year Iron Man came out. That's the year that the, that's the year the race began. Looks like DC came out to a strong start. In that. Look, this is going to piss off anyone who lists, who watches Marvel movies and, yeah. and listens to this. I will put The Dark Knight tit for tat above any Marvel movie they've released in the last ten years. You're not wrong. I mean, when it just comes down to sheer, I mean, just look at that cast. Bale. It was Ledger's last hurrah. Yeah. Sadly, you know, I mean, the movie just doesn't miss a. a Eat. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the direction's a big part of it, um, and the ledger is a big part of it. I think those are those are the, the real separating factors. I'm a Marvel maniac, and I have been and, my and, whole life. And I'm a huge fan, but I'm just saying, there's a there's family hero flicks, and then there's fucking hero flicks. Yeah, you know what I mean. I can't sit here and say the Dark Knight's better than any Marvel film. You know, not even the, okay. Well, I love Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Great which, movie was better than Captain America. That's another sequel yeah. that I think, you know, but the, the, the good directors and the good writers can flesh these characters out. Sure, they're based on comic books, a medium that was designed to sell gum and candy and toys to kids. Well, what was the you last... Know, stories told in between them. So it's unbelievable that films this rich, especially as The Dark Knight. I mean, what a roller coaster. It's beautifully shot. Well, and what was the last uh, Batman movie to be released before they did Batman Begins, before they did the Nolan trilogy? Uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah, which some people like that movie, but it's almost like campy. It's nothing but camp. Yeah, and it's because like of the director, Joel Schumacher, and it almost sunk superhero movies forever. And I'm not exaggerating. It was such an unmitigated disaster that just all the all the momentum <laughs> that had nipples been, on the bat suit, all the momentum that had been built from fucking Batman and Batman Returns, which were great, the Tim Burton films, and then yeah. Batman Forever. Um, in my opinion, by the way, Batman Returns is superior to the original Batman. That's not really the popular opinion, though. But this Batman and Robin was so bad that we didn't see Batman again for a long time. It, well, and, you know, to revitalize this character, I mean, how could you have done any better? 
Yeah, well, they decided they were... Hits a home run with Batman Begins, and then this movie comes out, and you're like, holy shit. Sure. And then a lot of people love Rises, Dark Knight Rises. I do. So I think that's one of the better sequels of all time. Um, Godfather 2, people won't live that one down. I mean, it's pretty... Godfather 2 is great, and it's, you know... It tells a great background story. It benefits from having Robert De Niro as the young uh, Vito Corleone in it. Mm-hmm. So it jumps between time. And from a, a character arc standpoint, it's really, you know, the downfall or the complete turn to darkness of Michael Corleone, you know, played by Al Pacino. So um, Godfather 2 is great. That'll usually be the first movie brought up, I think, in sequel discussions. But, I mean, the first movie that, that first or second, the first one that always comes up is one that I think is probably the best sequel of all time, and right. that is Star Wars Episode Five, aka The Empire Strikes Back. I'm in a small majority here. I'd, I'm a much bigger fan of Return of the Jedi. Okay, that's crazy, but <laughs> sequels. We're talking about follow-ups, but okay. So, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, a film that The Way of Water probably calls back on in several ways. Absolutely. If you want to talk about the character of Spider. And father issues, there's a sort of a Luke Vader dynamic between Spider and a character in the way of water who shall remain anonymous. Yeah. But um, it's a definite thing. And the Empire was, you know, it's, uh, it was, I think what made it original is um, the good guys lose. You know, there was going to be more movies coming and um, we knew that, but. what I think people, it's hard for people to grasp. And this is my personal experience. You said, you know, we're going to, we're going to relate some personal experiences when we talk about, when we talk about films on the podcast. So for me being eight years old, when empire came out and going to see it at a theater with my family and seeing at the end that Darth Vader was Luke's father. And then he cut his fucking hand off and he jumped out of the ship, almost died. Han Solo abducted by Boba Fett, the galaxy's most dangerous bounty hunter, frozen in carbonite to be returned to Jabba the Hutt, you know, for uh, some wicked person that we've not yet met, you know, that we would in Jedi, of course, eventually, but nobody got out clean in Empire Strikes Back. It was really bad for everyone involved. And can't really be stressed enough back then, no internet, no spoilers. (laughs) Movie trailers were 20 seconds long. They basically said the title of the movie showed a couple lightsabers waving around, showed a couple really spaceships. Really fast frames. And said, too, the, like, Empire, this, the Empire Strikes Back, you know? Yeah, just quick. That was it. Now they're three minutes long, you see everything, and that's a marketing thing, but for Empire, it was an absolute sensation. And What trailers did we see waiting for Avatar? That We saw Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Yeah, I think that's the only one they did. And uh, we saw one other one that's already just like just slipped my mind in a fucking 20-minute Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, um... We're not going to say where we saw it, but... I'll say where we saw it. We saw it in Northridge, <laughs> and I, I don't mind going to see theater movies in uh, Northridge. They have bigger screens than some of the other theaters around here, but... Oh, and I like the I like the, the experience that they provide there cinematically, and I think it's cool that they show some Looney Tunes, you know, or some Merry Melodies yeah, but beforehand, but when you're showing a three-hour and 15-minute movie, like The Way the of Water... <laughs> Pick a shorter Tom and Jerry than the Christmas episode, which was very... Yeah, that's one thing we didn't uh, cover. Do you think um, think Way of Water could have been shorter? Yes. I think, I know, uh, there's some people I know who probably wish they had two more hours of it. Yeah, I think that can, <laughs> I think they can go with... For a three-hour and 15-minute movie, though, I think, 
Uh, I got a little bit antsy, but I've been, you know, the only, the only, th- I've seen three, three hour and 15 minute movies in the theater. What were they? Magnolia, Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson. Yep. Way too long. Casino, Martin Scorsese. I remember my, my ass and back never hurt so bad in my life. <laughs> I was watching Casino. Even though I loved the movie, I was like, for fuck's sake. And there wasn't a chair that it wasn't. I was like, this isn't good, fellas. I don't want to. It ain't, the chair didn't kick your feet up either, did it? It wasn't a recliner. No, this is back when we just sat on rocks in the movie theater. <laughs> just, you know, they would just bring some rocks in and you would sit on the side. They would hand crank a projector with a whole fire in front of the film and hand crank a projector and it shined on the wall in the cave. <laughs> I feel a sense about my age today, Stevens. Damn. <laughs> this, is, this weather we're, we're recording this on um, So uh, yeah But long movies You know Tuesday. I mean I saw right. Elvis That motherfucker Was like two hours And 48 minutes long Oh you mean the movie That's gonna take Oscar For best picture I wanted to run through the wall Like Kool-Aid man I couldn't wait to get Out of that theater Bass. Jesus <laughs> Hey let's talk about How uh, Austin Butler Cannot drop the Elvis voice He still talks like Elvis Yeah he still talks like this He remains in character All the time Like very much yeah, well, I don't know if he's doing like the Elvis lines, but you know, you watch a video of that kid when he was uh, on Disney Channel. He's like, hey, I then, one time in college, I took acid with my buddy Craig, and I think it was the first time he took acid. And well, he started tripping. He spoke in a British accent, <laughs> and he didn't stop speaking in a British accent for like four weeks. Oh, you're gonna say a few years? <laughs> no. Greg yeah. lives in Oxford now. But, I mean, it was a, when we were tripping, it was annoying. And then for the next several weeks, it got really annoying. Like, dude. Aren't you glad your trips are sophisticated? <laughs> don't I'm right. Worry. Don't worry. I know you're right, chuffed mate. <laughs> so uh, that's that's funny. Four weeks. If you're out there and you're ever having a hallucinogenic experience and someone starts speaking in an accent, stop them before it gets out of control. I know a few people that um, when they get drunk, they kick right into some kind of accent or impression. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it might even be me. I think I do it sometimes. What accent do you do when you're drunk? I don't think I even do accents. I think I might just jump right into just like being a weirdo. It's a tell for some people. Yeah. Well, so, you know, uh, oh, it is a tell. I know a girl who goes straight and she'll, I'll text this to her and say, listen for when I brought you up in this podcast because you go straight into British talk. You're really? British, yeah. Do I know this girl? You love this girl. Really? Yeah. You know who, uh, you know, uh, I, well, I don't, my, I won't protect people's identities. So Tico, our good pal <laughs> Tico, when he gets drunk, he starts to speak French. Oh, we we miss you. Oh, but like, <laughs> it's just uh, and as soon as I hear him, like uh, it's my eyebrow raises and I look at him. I'm like Tico. He's and, good at it too. He's got the he's got the right um. He's got a joie de vivre. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the British accent girl? Miley. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh man, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's good. That's interesting to know. Miley, our great good friend gal. Miley Palmer, one of the young rising people. Just, Very uh, talented uh, comic mind. Yeah, insanely, insanely natural. Brilliant stand up. Brilliant young lady. Absolutely. I spoke to her yesterday. I asked her to come to an open mic that yeah. we were doing in Lincoln and South last night. And that she she's going to be back next week. She's out of town, and I'm so glad she didn't come because I I would be humiliated if she saw me bomb the way I bombed. Hey, everybody bombs, man. That's not a good se- That was not a good sequel to my prior performances. Yeah, one of the worst sequels I've ever seen was you. <laughs> What's <laughs> you last night doing stand-up? God. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, but that's why I'm getting out of the game for a while, because I started the Good Pals podcast out with my game. friend and producer, Zachary Stevens. Out of the game, baby. What are some other sequels that we really love, Zach? 
Um, I mean, for me, like for me, you know, Aliens and The Dark Knight um, and Empire are big ones. Those are weird because those are all kind of genre films. But these are the these are the movies that get sequels. You know, the dramatic films that we like rarely. uh, How many how many drama films get sequels? Not really a thing. You know. Um, No, there's no Goodwill Hunting too. You know, because drama films always. The third act is usually what caps a drama. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's over. Nice. Can't make a Gone Girl 2. Good know? point, Stevens. Yeah. But um, you got to know what happens to Frodo Baggins. You know, that's why there's a. You know, we're just, you know, those movies follow up. Before we wrap it up, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about when I was talking about, you know, oh, geez, 13 years between Avatar and its sequel. How yeah. about a movie that came out this year that was 36 years after the original, and that's Top Gun Maverick. And that was a great fucking movie. Kicked ass. Yeah. Like, a ride, you know? And that's the kind of thing that studios are banking on right now. They're going to put money into these movies to make them cinematic experiences, to get people to go out to the movies. And people out there, if please go to the movies and buy some tickets and go see some good flicks, right? Going to the movies is a big, important part of my life. It always has been, and it always will be. You'll be better for it. And especially now, you know, I need shit to do. I need hobbies. I have a friend that hates being in conversations when movies get brought up because he has never seen a movie. Yeah, I mean... He's seen a lot of movies, but he hasn't seen enough. And <laughs> in the, I don't know, and now in the, everyone, that, you know, in the age of uh, social anxiety and, you know, ADHD, oh, I can't sit through a movie, oh my God, I can't yeah, sit when your friend, Yeah, when you're on the airplane and someone starts speaking fluent Navi to you, you don't want to... You don't want to not know how to speak Navi. You well, know? I mean, I know it, obviously. Yeah, so. I know you do. <laughs> I don't know any Navi. I don't know any Klingon. I, I don't know. even know that. I know a little bit of French, as you just heard from me when, <laughs> I, was, when I was kicking some knowledge earlier. So that's nice. But um, I think the movies are important. You think the movies are important, Zach. You know, it's probably our favorite. Shape my life. I mean, I mean it's one of, I, well, you're a musician, so I can't speak for you. It's my favorite term of creative expression. Uh, I'm a writer. You're a musician. We both love movies, and, uh, you know, we love television, too, and that's the whole point of this pod, and it's what we're doing. Yeah, just to cover the stuff we love and, you know, just stuff that keeps us ticking because yeah. without art, you know, art forms like this, what what's there to get high and talk about? And it's, and it's, it's going gonna, gonna to be movies a lot, and uh, we know a lot of our friends and people that are going to be listening to this are into what they call event or prestige television. Um, the best examples I can think of shows that, Classic shows that we love, like The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, um, so on and so forth. A lot of HBO shows. The White Lotus, the most recent one I can think of. Yeah, you've been and watching one, that? Uh, oh, yeah, I love The White Lotus. I'm about four episodes into the first season. It's oh, like, okay. It's one okay. of the hardest shows I think I've ever had to watch. Well, maybe next week we could talk a little White Lotus. Cause yeah, there's, people I love are most eating of, that show most up. Most right of my now. friends, I mean, it's done. You know, it's, it's uh, season two is done. Yeah, I'm not And it was man. good. But most of the people I know out there are catching up on it now because it's become a sensation. Right? It's just like hit the, I mean, t- Twitter, like, Every time I go in there, I see a picture of Jennifer Coolidge on a yeah. moped. Yeah, so on episode two, <laughs> well, so it's like my dream come true. Wow. Yeah. It's beautiful. So- <laughs> <here>. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, man. You're a funny, you're a funny, funny dude. Um, so I think maybe next week when we get together and record, we should talk a little bit about the White Lotus. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, people are, a lot of people are, are talking about it. And we're interested to know what you guys are interested in, too. You see yeah, me feel, and Zach. Feel free. You see me and Zach around a lot. We'll set up an email. Or you can message us on social media, slide into those DMs. We're going to do lots of lists, like our favorite, 
Absolutely. You know, our, our, our favorite, you know, karate movies or our favorite or our favorite dramas, our favorite rock movies. We're going to we're going to spotlight new stuff. But we're also going to pay no musicals. <laughs> we're going to we're going to pay tribute to we're going to pay tribute to a lot of um to a lot of classics as well. And probably even go probably even do some deep dives on television shows. No doubt. Of the past. But this is the first one. I think it went pretty well, Stevens. We we're going to do it. We agreed to start this out and do it in segments and take a break and do it in segments, take a break. But what do you know? We just did it in one take. Yeah, we're just having fun with it. I yeah, mean, yeah. So we'll have a lot of fun guests for you guys too in the future. I mean, a yeah. lot of you know, Matt and I aren't the only nerds around here. There's a lot of people that love, like you know. If you are a cineast or an expert on a certain film, or you really love a certain work of work of a pop culture art that you'd like to come on here and discuss with us, chances are we'll probably know something about it too. And if not, we can school ourselves up. Yeah, and if you have um just. Topics of discussion that you want us to cover ever, you know, feel free to comment under any of the uh, yeah. the posts that we, you know, when we throw this podcast up, it'll be on any of your podcast providers and we'll also try to. We're talking to you, Sarah Joey Clemens, by the way. Yeah, we want you as our first guest. Dream Sarah guest. Joey, we love dream you. Guest. I just want to onboard you as, a, as the third as the third mic on this thing. Why not? But that's a that's a bridge we'll cross when we get to it. But seriously, we're going to have some guests. We're going to talk about all kinds of cool shit. Uh, it's the Good Pals Podcast, and it's me, and I want to thank you guys for listening, and I want to thank my young brother Stevens here for being the producer, uh, setting up the equipment, and uh, getting a really good-sounding podcast going that I'm super excited to be a part of. Until next week, I'm Maddie. I'm Zach. You guys get out there, go see uh, Avatar, and uh, let us know what you think, and uh, we'll see you again. All right, see you next week, guys.